Oh, hey guys. Hey. <laughs> Where didn't see you there. <laughs> I was gonna. When did you get here? I'm Marissa. And uh, oh yeah, I'm Liza. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that this is the little sleep much reading podcast. Finally, from so little sleeping and so much reading, his brain dried up and he went completely out of his mind. How was everyone's end of January? Yeah, and how's the beginning of your February? How's the beginning of your February? Because it's February 3rd when you're listening to this. It is. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. That's the future. No. (laughs) Wow. We're here today. And do you guys remember what this episode is? Were you paying attention last week? Penelope. What if we just turn into like Dora? You know how Dora like asks a question and then waits for you to answer? Hola, you guys remember? <laughs> Do you remember what this week's episode is? Just a little bit of goofy fun. Just a silly goofy mood. You guys, it's February. And February, I like the month of February, even though I don't like winter. Yeah, February feels like we're like coming out of the deep. Yeah, January is just arguably the worst month of the year. Yeah. Um. But February is short, which is very intriguing to me. And Valentine's Day. And Valentine's Day. And if you remember the theme of this week's episode and the theme of this entire month's worth of LSMR, February is Black History Month. Also Harry Styles' birthday. Also it's Harry Styles' birthday. (laughs) On February 1st? Yeah. I had forgot. I I had clearly that was stored in my brain somewhere, but I had forgotten about that. How old is he? Twenty seven. Yeah, I I think he's turning twenty eight. Oh, he's turning twenty eight. Thank I God. Think? I was like, Harry, don't don't make unnecessary journeys. Ninety four. So yeah, two thousand four, two thousand fourteen. Yeah. So he's turning 28. So he's almost made it through his 27th year. So as long as he makes it to February 1st, we're in the clear from the 27 club. Harry Styles, if you're listening to this and you're holding a white lighter in your pocket, take that shit the fuck out. Take that out. I wanted to, I wanted to look up when black history month started. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, And so I did. And the history is kind of interesting. It used to be a Black History Week in the 1920s. But the beginnings of Black History Month are as early as 1915, um, which was half a century after the 13th Amendment abolished slavery. And they started researching and promoting... um, it looks like a Harvard-trained historian started researching and promoting achievements by Black Americans 
And then in 1926, there was Black History Week, which was strategically placed in the second week of February to coincide with Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass's birthday. And that's when kind of the celebrations started. And then it wasn't until the 1960s with the civil rights movement that since 1976, every single American president has designated February as Black History Month. So every February since at least 1976 is Black History Month. Kind of crazy to think about though, because like my parents were born in in 75. My parents were born in the 60s. And so there was no, there was Black History Week, but there was no Black History Month. That's crazy. How crazy. Wow. But Um, yeah, it's Black History Month. It is. And so we are reading Black History books. And we have quite a time span, I feel like. Yours is all the way back to 1619. Mm -hmm. And mine is in the 1930s. Um, But that was just a moment to say there's so much rich black history and you know like we were just saying there's so much awful history of what white people did to black people in this country but there's also just so much like black culture and black history is so rich that there's just so many cool things um black historical figures have done too and black writers Mm because i feel like we usually think about like you know Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks and Sojourner Truth and Malcolm X, um, which is always great to remember them every year. Um, But also to think about all of the Black writers that have done just incredible things for literature. Like we got James Baldwin, Toni Morrison, Octavia Butler, Langston Hughes, like the list goes on. So I just been thinking about that. There's also so much to learn and to be unlearned. Yeah. Um, and I just think even if you think that you, you know, learned a portion of black history from high school, you know, your US English English, your U.S. history class or whatever, whatever there was that taught you, you didn't. Right. Um, I read a children's book for today and I still learned something that I didn't know. Yeah. Uh, which is pretty great. And I don't know. I, I don't I don't understand why. You wouldn't want to unlearn and relearn. Right. I and it's ne- there's never like an arrival point for non-black people like you don't arrive at a point of like okay now I've unlearned all the bad stuff and I learned every like you just there's there isn't that like you're never gonna achieve that but there's that's not the goal like the goal is like I feel like to learn more and unlearn in order to make the future 
better. And you should do that all year. But a great time to do that is Black History Month. Because I feel like what, what we want to do too with this month is, so we are reading Black authors every single week of this month. And I feel like it's because like we said this a little bit last week, but Marissa and I read a lot of genre fiction and genre fiction is so white and all fiction is so white. Um, but it's also sometimes because in whether it's in school or your own person, a, a personal fault, which you should just own up to, too, is that like sometimes you don't like reach for you don't go searching for like black stories that fall into the genres that you enjoy reading you kind of just like take whatever is popular and takes whatever like you see on the shelf um but I feel like that was the reason like we this month specifically like we did I just mentioned Toni Morrison and Octavia Butler and James Baldwin and Langston Hughes and you know we love them but we all we also wanted to read work by black authors that we weren't familiar with and to like show like this is black, the first episode is black history um so historical fiction or historical nonfiction, but also like there are black authors working in the mystery genre there are black authors who are innovating the horror genre there are black authors who are writing sci-fi and magic that's another unlearning process is like that decolonizing your bookshelf right like we talked about it for indigenous history month too and we'll talk about it again for um asian american history month like there's it's not that there's not black authors writing in your favorite genres it's that you need to do the work to um look for that but then also do the work of uplifting and supporting those authors so that all popular fiction is as diverse as the world around us. I don't know. There are people who get a lot of support because they deserve the support and their work is like amazing. Yeah. But there are also so many people who aren't getting the recognition that they deserve that they should be getting. And so we should find those people and do our best to support them. Exactly. And I feel like too, you know, we talked about this. The one that comes to mind most is true is crime fiction and mystery fiction just being so horrendously racist in the past but horror comes to mind too like you know one of the founders of horror hp lovecraft was a fucking horrible racist and it's like it it feels like an act of um it's like a disruption in a good way and like an act of resistance for black authors and authors of color to be like no like I'm gonna write crime fiction and I'm gonna rewrite what so many white authors kind of molded the genre into and for horror too and like you know what like does that make sense like it's like yes for because because we read so much genre fiction it feels like especially like the work that black authors are doing in genre fiction is so important because of the racist history of genre fiction you know what I mean yes and then like Agatha go back to our Agatha Christie episode like (laughs) like shit was not good shit was not fun and shit was not fresh no 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 um I also feel like 
one thing I want to say too is that obviously both, neither Marissa or I are black. So you should also not only be supporting and listening to black authors, um, but you should also be supporting and listening to like black book creators, black book talkers or bookstagrammers or bloggers or, you know, book reviewers, especially surrounding Black History Month. They're going to have just so much more knowledge and, you know, things to say about black fiction than Marissa and I there's things Marissa and I are obviously never going to understand but I feel like what we want to do more so here was like bring awareness to black authors but also the importance of doing your own research like I want to put with that too like don't go asking black content creators on internet platforms or your your black friends to like give you information for free so that you don't have to do any work like don't ask black people to do emotional labor like that (laughs) or an intellectual labor like like you need to do the research yourself um and you should be super thankful when you know black book talkers for example are like highlighting you know this that and the other and so like I feel like that was the other thing too that like we are obviously not do you know what I mean Marissa like we're not like the source of information on this because we are not black but also we're just trying to be like hey do your own research like do the work to decolonize your own bookshelf without asking a person of color to do that work for you when we like building up to this the planning of this month me and Liza like well I can't really speak for Liza but I know for me I was on different websites um and you know like you'll get like new york times list of like african-american authors and then you gotta like click that and then read the books and find the one you like and sometimes it just takes forever yeah but it's i i find that stuff fun i find doing book research really fun Mm -hmm. to find like that one special book that you're looking for by that one perfect author right um and then along the way you get to see all these other books that are also really cool it's so worth it because then you have a whole tbr like like we hope that when you listen to this episode and like the following three episodes that you like read these specific books but also like if you do your own if you put it in your own work you're gonna have so many books you're gonna want to read because now i feel like both you and i like have like we had to pick stuff for each episode but we were like wait i want to do this one but wait i want to do this um and that's how it should be any any last words on that fun stuff? I don't have too many more words on that. I'm excited to talk about our Black History books. Me too. But yeah, I read a book this week um, called uh, The Perishing by Natasha Dion. And it is brand new. Um, I think it officially kind of came out maybe even in at the beginning of January, but it may have come out in um, December, but I got it as an early release through Book of the Month. And Tasha Dion, this is just on her um, her little bio, but is an NAACP Image Award nominee and a practicing criminal attorney and college professor. So she is girl bossing and she's won a bunch of cool literary awards. Her first novel, which I have not read, Grace, was named best book by uh, was named a best book by the New York Times. Um, she's been awarded, you know, 
awards from Pan America and Dickinson House and the Bread Love Writers Conference. Um, and she's just very cool. And this is a historical fiction novel, but I was also intrigued by it because there is a level of magic kind of to it. And basically the overall like... <sighs> The, the little just description at the very top of the jacket is a black immortal in 1930s Los Angeles seeks to recover the memory of her past in this visionary novel. And that's what kind of intrigued me into reading this. And at first I was like, is there going to be enough history? And yes, there is like this was this was classic historical fiction with that lovely sprinkle of magical realism that I guess borders on like kind of like sci-fi in this scenario because it's like immortal and kind of futuristic which I'll get into later um but it's really cool I've never really read anything like it so I as I said earlier I read a children's book actually it's called the 1619 project born on the water it has two authors Nicole Hannah-Jones and Renee Watson and one illustrator, Nicholas Smith. Um, and I have a lot, not a lot, but I have a good amount of things to say about this considering it is a fairly short children's book. But I want to start in this little introduction by saying this is part of something called the 1619 Project. Um, and there are quite a few books that are part of this project um, for different age levels. Um, so if you go to 1619books.com, and that's, it's not spelled out, it's 1619books.com, you, you'll get more material on this and you can see the other books and you can read a little bit about the project and I really encourage everyone to do that why don't we scoot on into it Miss Liza Miss me yes so the perishing to, I already kind of gave a summary but to give me a little bit more it basically the premise is that a black woman wakes up in an alley in 1930s Los Angeles with no memory of how she got there or who she is basically um and she gets adopted by a foster family. She, you know, goes through school. Um, and then she becomes the first Black female journalist at the Los Angeles Times. Basically, I already said this, but she is a Black immortal. And I was under the impression that the whole book was going to be in the 1930s. And it was going to be her slowly figuring out that what she is. And I almost thought, like, I didn't think it was time travel, but like for those who like have read Kindred by Octavia Butler, that follows a black woman who jumps back accidentally. She is a time traveler, doesn't know it at first, but she is. Um, and accidentally jumps back in time to the t times of um, slavery. Um, and, and so she knows who she is, right? I didn't think this was gonna be like that. I thought it was gonna be like this woman who wakes up and she slowly has to recall oh my gosh, yeah, I'm, I'm like, I've done this before. Um, but it's not actually exactly like that. The other reason I thought that is because she like sees this 
man in her she sees stuff in her dreams and she like sees this man whose like face she draws all the time and then she meets him in real life and I was like okay I I think I know how this book is going to be set up and I'll get into that more with plot but that is not um the case because the book does not start in the 1930s by any means it starts with chapter zero July 2102 Los Angeles California from the perspective of somebody named Sarah Shipley um and the just the first sentence is my name is Sarah Shipley and I've slept with five women since I married a man no one asks the kind of person I choose anymore I've been married six times all of them men all of them taken from me by God or by man death in all cases my first husband is who I remember most and that's the first paragraph and you're like what the hell um (laughs) and then we're with Sarah for that chapter and then we're with somebody named charlie for the second chapter which takes place in 1887 then we're back with sarah and then we're with charlie in 1907 and then we're with sarah and it's not until chapter let me find it part one chapter two 31 pages into the book that we meet Lou in 1930 Los Angeles. Um, So it is not at all like the structure I thought, which is pretty cool. Um, And I'm trying to think like, it reminds me of a lot of different things. Like I mentioned that it reminds me of um, a little bit just because it's jumping through time a little bit of Kindred by Octavia Butler. Um, And there were times too where um, Natasha Natasha Dion's language would, um, her style of writing would sometimes even remind me of Toni Morrison a little bit, Um, like just gorgeous, but also a little bit jagged at times. You know what I mean, Marissa, like with like Beloved specifically. And then the other thing that it reminds me of, not by any means because, you know, it does take place in 2100, which is futuristic, but at some points it did remind me of The Handmaid's Tale in that if you like books where you're very slowly receiving a release of information, then this book is for you. I'm someone who doesn't really love a bunch of exposition right up front. I think it can be jarring, and I remember as a writer when I was reading The Handmaid's Tale for the first time, I really was like in awe of how you know, Margaret Atwood has her fucking problems, but like, I was in awe of how she gives you those little pieces of information little by little until you just have it all by the end. And you're like, oh, shit. Like, it's just so much better that way, I think, often than giving a lot of exposition right up front. So it reminded me of that, too, when I was thinking about structure. But to get into the chart for the readability and interest, um, I gave this book a 7.5. Um, I really liked this book Uh, and I'll get into this more too when I talk about form, but I liked, I don't want to give too many spoilers, but like, it feels like a shift in perspectives, even though it's not necessarily a shift in perspectives. I think the time jumps are very cool. I feel like I want to talk about this when I talk about plot too, but the only reason like I didn't give this like a higher rating like 7.5 like I really liked it but the only reason I didn't give it any higher was because sometimes I was like where is the actual plot points that I read about in the description of the book you know what I mean like you know when you like read the back of a book maybe you read it one too many times because sometimes I'll read a book without 
reading the back again after I buy it. And so then I'm just like shocked all along the way. Um, but I was like, I had read the inside jacket of this book so many times. And then I'm like, where is the, <laughs> where's the plot of the book that I thought was the plot? And like, I like being thrown for a loop, but like so much of this book was like, first of all, I didn't know it was going to take place in 2100 at all, but, but I ended up liking that. But like also in the 1930s, and I said this in my intro too, you literally forgot this was like a time travel book at all. Like you were like, this is historical fiction, 1930s. Like I forgot that Lou is an immortal being um, because I'm just so in this historical world. And I'll talk about that too with plot. And I really liked that, but it was like, it wasn't playing on my mind in the same way, like a, a another low sci-fi book might if that makes any sense where you're like how is what's going to happen how is this person going to get out of this like da 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 like it really was like kind of interesting that way but that was like it was also part of the reason why it was unlike any other book I've read before which I always really appreciate for language and style I gave this book an eight I really like um Natasha Dion's um writing style I read you guys that first paragraph um and that's just like a little bit of a taste for it but Sarah's perspectives are particularly interesting and the other thing I think that's so fun is that like Sarah and Lou feel very different um and I always find it so great when so this book is from first person by the way um which I also don't really like but I loved it in this situation and I always find it so cool when the same writer does such different things per person but also you can tell it's the same writer because their writing is so sharp but it's like different does, does that make any sense at all like that's just what I keep thinking about the dialogue is phenomenal um and there was just like these moments where she just broke rules like she just straight up broke litter like I was like girl <laughs> she would like use quotation marks and then use italics and then not use any quotation marks. But she was clearly referring to something that somebody was like saying out loud. And I was like, okay, sign me up. Like, I love that. Um, so I really like her writing style. Um, and I would read, you know, anything else she wrote basically. Um, for form, I gave this book an eight. Um, I thought it was super experimental and noteworthy. And I thought, and I'll get into this more too when I talk about plot, I did think it was working with the story and working for the story. I was never really jarred by the jumps between 1930 and 2100, um, which I also think is good. Like you don't, you never want something to like pull you out of a story. Um, and I think she does that really well. And it does keep like I, you know, I said like this book, like I wanted to read it, but it's not, it wasn't playing on my mind like when I wasn't reading it quite as much as some other stuff I've read recently. But it's she's still pushing you along to get to a point. And that's what I'll talk about more with plot that if I have like any qualm whatsoever, it's in certain parts of that that I but I, I didn't actually like but I'll, I'll talk you'll understand more when I get there um for shelf worthiness um I give this book a 6.5 as in it's shelf worthy um I definitely think everybody should pick up this book and read it um it might be the only reason I give it a 6.5 it, it might be a one-time read 
you know, there's some books that you're just like, I'm gonna read that again, like right after you read it. I don't know if I feel exactly that way about this book, but it's not necessarily something either that I'm like, I'm never gonna open it again, but I might never read it cover to cover again. Does that make, do you ever think that way about a book? Like you're like, I'm gonna open this book to look at certain things but I don't know if I'll read it cover to cover. Whereas like some books, I'm like, I'm so excited to read that. Like I will be reading it again. (laughs) Um, And this book just was like one of those books that like I'm hanging on to this, but not necessarily going to go read it again, you know, next year or whatever. Um, For plot, I gave this book a 7.5. So I said this already, but the only thing that threw me off a little bit is we have this thing that says she's, Lou is shocked to realize that though she has no memory of meeting him, this is a guy that she runs into in Los Angeles. She's been drawing his face for years. And then it goes into talk about that she has unexplainable flashes from different eras haunting her dreams. Um, she begins to believe she may be an immortal sent here for a very important reason, only that uh, one that only others like her can explain. And it almost felt like it wasn't until halfway through the book that this man started becoming important and in in almost 75% way through the book that this like mission to discover how important her path is in the 1930s begins which is just a little bit strange I have no problem with something like that starting deeper into the book than the first chapter and obviously you know some shit's going on because she's on trial Sarah in 2100 is on trial for something at the beginning of the first chapter so you know like you know and then obviously Lou wakes up in an alley with no memory of who she is and she's already like a young teen so you're like I know like things are not gonna be straightforward but like it was just a little bit weird to me that those things that were are key plot points but were like even more key in the description of the book didn't come up until so deep into the book but at the same time I still give it a 7.5 because I got so into the history aspects of this book I got so into Lou being a black woman in Los Angeles in the 1930s and her being the first female journalist at the Los Angeles Times like That could have been a book, like it could have been no magic, you know, about this woman who's like the first black journalist at the LA Times. And like, I would have liked it, I feel like just as much. And I feel like it was just that much cooler that it had these weird time jumps and it was like an actual immortal being. But it's almost like, I don't even want to say it was two different books because it very much felt like the same book, but it was like, almost like there could have been more of that, like, that mission to like discover what her purpose is from the jump. And I don't know if it was just something that like, maybe I said that the switch between perspectives, the switch between time period wasn't really jarring to me and it didn't feel jarring to read, but maybe it was like, maybe I do need to go and read this again. And I'll be like, oh, okay. Now I see that that's what was happening here. Um, But that was just something about the plot that I was like, this is a little bit strange. Like I had almost completely forgotten that that was going to be a major plot point in the book because I was like 75% of the way through. And I was like, I don't actually know what's going to happen <laughs> next because like this plot point that I thought was going to be the main point kind of is not. 
So there's that. But also to get back to the history aspect of it too, I think the research for this, the history aspect of this is impeccable. She paints such a vivid picture of 1930s LA. And I learned so many things about 1930s LA and specifically what it was like to be black in 1930s LA and what it was like to be a a woman or person of color in general because her best friend is Asian which I think was also very cool to have and like I learned so much about LA like it used to be called Hollywood land not Hollywood like that's just a random thing but like she sneaks so many historical nods in here that is just so well done for a history book because I feel like sometimes you'll be too on the nose when they're writing historical fiction where she was just like here's a book about a life and I'm gonna throw in some hints to remind you what time period it is um because it would you know whether it was like um prohibition or they were creating route 66 during this time period or like like Hollywood land or like the Lindenberg baby mystery when like that baby got kidnapped like she just throws all this stuff into the background that like obviously these people would be talking about because they're living in the 1930s but like it wasn't revolving around those historical points all those things were just happening in the background which is exactly how things happen in real life and I think that is so much more intriguing than historical fiction books that are like and now you know we're writing about this specific point in history and you know what I mean like that little bit like it's a little too on the nose so I thought that was really cool and last but not least for characterization um I gave this book an eight I really like the characters in this book. I think Lou is so cool. And I think Sarah is so cool and interesting. And I think the main character of this book is so cool too, because she's so normal, but also so like different than everybody else. Like she sees, even though she doesn't remember who she is, sometimes she sees the world in such like a different way than the other people do and she like questions things that other people wouldn't question because like she probably knows more like rules of society than anybody else like deep in her subconscious but because of that she questions things more and I think that's really interesting and the other thing that I think is really cool (laughs) is that this person feels almost genderless and sexually fluid too like that's just a side point but like I thought that was very cool Um, But very obviously, also, this person is Black, and they're, like, living the Black experience whenever they're in a different time, which is just, like, so interesting, especially when they have these flashbacks of the other times that they lived in. Like, there's that one point where they're being described as, like, a Moor, which flashback to our other historical fiction episode, when I read The Mistress of the Art of Death, when it was in medieval times, and it was about a woman, a Moor, and a Jew, which is... Uh, more was the term they used for black people like Othello for example and Shakespeare is a more um to give like context to that word and like to see that person live in so many different time periods but also be this immortal with black skin but also to be immortal and feel at some points genderless and like you know what I mean like it was just like very cool and I think it was especially cool that Natasha chose to, why she chose the 1930s, I have no clue, but it it, it ended up being such a rich time period for her to choose, and there's so many things she she could have chosen, like, if she wanted to take place in America, there's so many different time periods she could have chosen, but, like, to do the 1930s, 
and in LA of all places was so interesting. And, and her being able to also talk about the, what other, that there's like this whole part in the beginning too, where she's talking about like, there's no reason for LA to exist because it's not on a port like every other American city. It's literally in the middle of nowhere and how like it was shaped by people of color in ways that every other US city was, but also in ways very much different to that and even more so than like you know a place like Boston or or something like that um so just it's almost like the beginnings of LA were kind of around this time period in the 1930s because we know the west starts so much later than the east here in the United States and the south and so her just looking at that LA being built from the ground up through the eyes of people of color was really cool and like at first you might be like oh I wonder why she chose the 1930s LA but then once you finish the book you're like I know exactly why she chose the 1930s LA and that is so cool so yeah I gave the characterization an eight just because like I really loved sitting with this person for 300 pages and like I said it's first person perspective which you know I I talk a lot of shit on this podcast sometimes because I think you can only do first person perspective sometimes if you're a really good writer or else it's going to seem cheesy as hell and Natasha Dion did not seem cheesy even once there was not a single point where I was like ew and there's no other way I could imagine this book being written no, no other's perspective which I feel like is also shows how good of a writer somebody is like if you read a book and you're like oh this could have been third person and it would have been fine or it would have been better then you got to be like why did the person do it first person then? But like, I'm like, no, this is exactly how this book needed to be. And I wouldn't want to see it any other way. Like every correct choice <laughs> was made. So yeah, that is my Black History Month historical fiction pick. Um, and it's brand new. So everybody should go pick it up um, and support her and show it off on your TikTok and your bookstagram because Natasha is awesome. The end. So much to learn. Yeah. That's so, I never thought about LA like that. I know nothing uh, about Los Angeles, like, but now I feel like I do know more. Like she is a historian. Like, I wanna know what, I didn't look too much into, I wonder what kind of professor she is. Like perhaps, well, she's a criminal attorney, which is dope. So she might be a law professor, but I'm like, this woman has such a full grasp of this specific point in history. And like, that's just what you have to do when you write historical fiction. And I know the 1619 Project isn't even fiction, but I know that that woman like dedicated her, has dedicated her career to 1619. Um, but I just, I have so much respect for people who write historical documents and historical fiction because it's like, you give such a big part of yourself to knowing so much about this time period that you never even lived in. But now you're making other people understand and see this time period that you weren't even there for. Like, what a talent. Like, so it's a whole different set of freaking talents than somebody writing contemporary fiction or contemporary investigations of things yeah and and you know history is such an important thing um not only because we can learn so much from it and history is usually cyclical and repeating but also just because is where we are from 
in one way or another. Um, even if, you know, I wasn't around in for 1619 America, you know, this is, this is how America was built. Even if, you know, I, I'm my great, my grandparents are Italian. Even if I like wasn't in Italy for, I don't know, a long time ago, you know, the Crusades still could have somehow affected my lineage, you know, just like, like little things like that. They really, these are things that really do matter. And it's, we should be really thankful to people who are still interested. Let's move into my book. So the 1619 Project, Born on the Water, it is a short children's book. Um, and it is about a little girl who gets an assignment in class where she has to, um, I believe she has to draw her lineage, I guess. Ooh, sorry. She has to like trace her roots back and draw a flag that represents where her family came from, but she does not know. And so she goes home and her grandmother tells her a really great story about who she is. And let's get into this writing scale. So actually, before I get into the writing scale, I should say this. I tried to have my nephew read this book or have it read to him. Um, and he's four years old and he was not into it. That doesn't mean that it's like a bad book or anything. I think A, it was out of his age range and B, it's, it was just not his book. He's very much, he likes Dr. Seuss easy readers. He likes weird words. He likes a rhyme scheme. Um, lots of like onomatopoeia sound type words. Um, so it wasn't his book, but I read it. I liked it. So for readability and interest, I gave this an eight, but I would say, I'm going to say it's for older children, eight and up. If you are a teacher and you read this book and you like it and you want to teach it to your class, whether they are, you know, eight and older or younger than eight, they do have resources on the 1619 Project website that I said in the beginning that can help you uh, integrate and teach this book in your classroom. Um, really easy read. There are more words on a page than, which is one of the reasons why I say it should be for older kids. There are more words on a page than um, like an easy reader. Um, nothing is really hard. There are no like hard words. There are some longer words, but nothing too tough. So for language and style, I gave this an eight. It's written in a poetry style. Um, there's it's it's really beautiful. The language that these ladies put together is stunning. There's repetition, which if you know me, I love some good repetition. Uh, there's very purposeful language. 
and reading these pages you actually like feel the emotion of these people um not not just the uh two ladies who wrote it nicole and renee but also the people on the pages i feel like you're getting much more than what is just on the page if that makes sense you're getting a lot of you're getting a lot of range from what was written um for form i didn't omit form i kept it in because i do want to talk about the drawings um i don't know what they are if i'm being honest like they look almost like watercolor or paint with how kind of flowy and uh fluid and blended they are but they are there's some beautiful imagery in here and I love how you know when it's talking about dancing it's light and it's colorful and there's lots of movement um and when it's talking about you know being stolen and kidnapped it's it's much darker and emotions are really conveyed through the images um and also i should say for form so not only is this book in poetry style but it's a collection of poems in the way that you know for example the first page is titled questions and then there's like a poem of the story underneath it it's like they kind of wrote out these poems and then collected them together to make this story which i don't know was just it's it's a really interesting way to write anything um to make a collected story out of anything let alone like a child's a children's book it's beautiful um for shelfworthy i gave this a nine and i'm gonna say yes to the right target audience like i said my nephew was a little bit young you know eight and up is a good fit and also this book is about um the ancestry of african-american people and you know just because they're quote born on the water just because they were brought here um to america to be slaves does not mean that that is where they start you know there there was a pre-life before slavery in their their home before they had to come to america and there is a point where the first african-american baby was born um and you know according to this book the first group of slaves were brought to america on a boat called the white lion a whole year before the Mayflower even came, which I thought was so interesting. I had no idea that that was even a thing. I think for a little Black child to read this book and to be like, A, not only was there, you know, not only did we come from somewhere other than America, but we also 
are American and there was and my family has been born in America and um and just because black people were slaves at some point it's not something that little black children today should feel ashamed about with the slavery came a group of black Americans who were strong and resilient and who raised their kids to be the same way and we're down to this lineage of black Americans who are strong and it's it's because of where they came from and I think that you know it's important for them to it's important for everyone to understand where they came from and to take I don't want to say take pride but um to not be ashamed of that um for plot I gave this a nine I explained the plot a little bit in the beginning I will say that this is a darker kids story but it does have a good emotional arc you know there is a a point in here where white people have come to steal black people from where they're from and put them on a boat to come to America and it's not pretty it's not you know it there's it's not great it's not happy but this book does have an emotional arc where you get to this it goes like happy and then it goes really sad and then it goes kind of happy again where um the main little girl from the beginning of the story is explaining like this is why we celebrate the way that we do and this is why we take pride in who we are and it it does have a much better um it does have that happy ending not that it's you know perfect storybook ending or whatever but there is like a happy ending where this little girl is taking pride in where she came from it's also so like i said although it's darker it does lighten up and there is a really beautiful message being told in the story i think that i think that this is a beautiful story to be told with a beautiful message and I think it should be taught in classrooms. I think that would be really good. Um, for characterization, I kind of omitted it simply because this feels like, like although it is the little girl in the beginning and then um, her grandmother telling her this story, it doesn't exactly focus on anyone. And we don't, you know, really, we only see the little girl on two or three pages. Um she doesn't get a name, which I think was a great idea. She's, I don't think she's supposed to have a name. I think she's supposed to be um, a relatable character, and I think that that's totally fine. Um, but I guess if I had, I think that the characterization that I would be writing if I had to write this is more of that emotional arc that I was talking about, which it does end on a light note. But but otherwise it's a it's about a collective, um, and you don't feel like you're with one character for the book. You're really like you you really feel like you're on a historical journey, which I think is exactly what the authors and illustrator were trying to convey. Yeah, that's really all I have to say about this book. It was a really really good book, and it just came out this year. It's new. And I, I think this is something that should be in school libraries and should be in classrooms. And yeah, that's, that's all I have to say about that.
I'm texting my mom, who is a school librarian right now, elementary school librarian, to make sure she has this book. She said, go get this right now. This is like um, something that I used to teach um, young writer. I did it for two semesters. And this is exactly the type of thing I would love to read to them because I always, I feel like people underestimate how much a kid can understand. But kids are so freaking smart and empathetic and so ready to like learn things that like why wouldn't you have this in your classroom for like eight nine ten eleven year olds like and also like from a writerly standpoint too like thinking about like because i used to teach kids at first i taught like they were fourth and fifth and then the second time they were like fourth fifth and sixth the first time and then seventh and sixth seventh and eighth the second time and they were so eager to learn about writing, but also they wanted to write stories about them, who they were and the world around them. And like, it was here in New York city. So like a lot of those kids were black, um, Latinx, Asian, Middle Eastern. And it's like, these books are so important for representation, but also for other kids, like for non-black kids to learn about. Cause like, I don't know about like the Atlantic slave trade, horrendous. Like I didn't really learn, but, and like, I'm still learning about it. Like I still find out new information about it. And you know, um, that's just so awful. But I don't think I, I don't think when I was eight, that they taught us the Atlantic slave trade in the way that it actually was. And it sounds like this book does, or at least a version of it that is way closer to the truth than what they used to tell us. Um, which I feel like in my public school, like they used to be like th that, that Americans went and stole black people from Africa, but they did not share the conditions on the ships um, or in the middle passage um or what it was like when when they arrived or what it was even like to be stolen from your own country like or your own land like i didn't learn that until like high school and like i said like they didn't even tell us like i will be on like the internet or watching a documentary like as a 22 year old learning information that i did not know about the of the atlantic slave trade like and it's like, you need to tell kids that because like you said, like black kids like should know where they came from, but also white kids need to know what what went down, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I also think this book is good because it's a good overview. It covers a lot in a short amount of, uh, in a short amount of pages while like I still learn things and it does it in a way that makes it more personal i feel like when you're learning about these things sometimes oh they came from you know africa very very general and that's like all you really learn but this book is talking about um you know they came like i said they came on a boat called the white lion a whole year before the mayflower arrived um they had 
they use dance as praise and um, celebrating and mourning. They had their own language and they had their own words for love and friend and family. It's hard to think of these people having their own language, their own, like, obviously, I don't know. I feel like they just, they grouped together this thing that happened, this, like, the whole slave passage and the slave trade. And they make it into this big thing that they don't even give you details enough to consider it and make it feel personal. Um, another thing I learned from this book that I didn't know, did you know slavery was born in Virginia? Like, makes total sense. Well, that sounds right. <laughs> it makes absolute sense, but, like, me thinking about American slavery, I just think of, like I said, I think of a collective. I think of the South. And it's also haunting because Virginia, because Virginia was the first U.S. state so it actually only makes sense that that's when slavery begins but that just shows you like when people are like oh, my ancestors came on the Mayflower I've been here like so long I'm like yeah um well I hate to fucking bring it to you like whatever white person name like <laughs> like um you like what like you know what I mean like that's just like since the beginning of a year before the Mayflower. Also, those projects, like, that that little girl has to do, like, I'm so glad, like, it got portrayed in this way, because I feel like so often white kids are like, yeah, I'm half Irish and half Italian. Right. My ancestors came here on to um, Ellis Island 50 years ago, and it's like, that's cool, but, like, a lot of these people have no clue where they came from because white people stole that from them so it's just like I've definitely seen that spin on that kind of project being like hey this this kind of thing actually might not be good to do because a lot of black kids specifically don't know where they came from but it sounds like this book spins it like it will give black kids at a younger age more of an understanding of you have yes just as much history and 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 your ancestors are just as important and just as like fulfill like fulfilling to look back and research on as those kids who do their whole big project on Ireland or whatever you know but yeah and also i think this book is good to be like just because you are a black kid in america doesn't mean you have to be ashamed of the fact that you are black you know like like being a slave in America is not your fault. It's not your ancestors' fault. Like this is a white a white people thing. Um thank you for speaking into the mic, but I was talking. <laughs> um and I I think this book is good to be like, yeah, these your ancestors had to face these really hard things. And despite not, you know knowing if slavery was going to end and if they were going to be treated as actual people um they still had hope and therefore they were able to have their own kids and have a family and still find love and still be able to dance and 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 um and and there's also something in this book that i felt that was like 
just because you don't know, like not not every black person in America is going to trace back to uh, the first slaves in Virginia. But just because, you know, you still might not know exactly what your uh, heritage is and what where your ancestors exactly came from, you still are a part of that. Even if you don't know what language they used to speak, what what religion they practiced, if they did, um, the songs that they sung, the dances they did, the food they liked to eat, even if you're not like aware of that culture that that you started off as, you're still a part of that lineage and that ancestry because you're you. Um, and we carry that in our bodies and you have your ancestors with you anyways. Um, I, I don't know. I just love that message. I think that, that that's super important. Um, but, and on their site, they even have, if you're going to teach this book to older kids um, or younger kids, no matter what, they have ways to talk about it and to teach it, which I think super good idea. Um, but yeah, it's it's good. And I, I hope one day um, Sylvia will actually read this. <laughs> I hope. So this is everybody's sign to go pick up a Black history book. Mm-hmm. Um, either one of these, or there's an adult version of 1619 Project. Um, yep. Or any, do your research and pick one and read it this week. This week. This week. This very week. And hopefully by this point, we also have some resources on our Instagram about Black-owned bookstores. Um, you can buy books from for this month and like going forward, too. Mm-hmm. like not just in February, but like for your life. And also remember that if there is not a bookstore by you, doesn't mean you can't hit one up online. Exactly. And I don't mean friggin' Amazon. And I don't mean Barnes and Nobles. I mean an independent person of color owned bookstore. Period. Um, what are we doing next week, Marissa? Next week, we're going to do... Um, Today was Black History. Next week is Black Mystery. Yay. I'm so um, excited. I already read my book that I'm reading for next week. I read it last week. <laughs> okay. Sorry, girl. I got a little ahead. Of, not yet. I got a little ahead of myself. So the book that I'm reading is called The Jigsaw Man, and it's by Nadine Matheson. And this book has actually been on my shelf for quite a while now. I'm very excited about about finally reading it because I have done nothing but look at it and get excited about reading it. And now I finally get to. Um, so I'm really excited about that. I'm excited to hear about yours. I read um, My Sister, the Serial Killer um, by Oyinkan Brathwati. And I hope I pronounced that right, but I will pronounce it right next week. Um, but I think that is correct. Um, and I already read it, and it's so good. I loved it. 
And mine's oh. like, um, yeah, like it's um, mine. You can tell what it is in the title. My sister's a serial killer. Mine is like a mystery, but also like crime fiction. Is yours also crime fiction? Yes. Okay. I'm so excited. I'm very excited. Um, um if you've already read a mystery book by a black author, though, um, comment, but like, jump over to our Instagram and let us know your recommendation. I would love to know more I I feel like I'm very much in a crime fiction mood lately and like a mystery book mood lately so I would love some recommendations what's up also we'd love to hear your favorite um black authors yeah in general yeah and your favorite black history book too like do you have a piece of historical fiction or actual like a nonfiction book by a black author that you think everybody needs to read? Like, let us know. And if you if we have any teachers out there and you guys get this book, the the 1619 Project War on the Water, and you teach it to your class, I would love to know how it goes. You can yeah. shoot me an email and let me know how it goes. The only the only last thing I want to say is within the next few weeks I think I'm gonna do a book giveaway for my book um and I will post about that uh probably on our Instagram stories so look out for that and one of the I'll do like oh you have to like follow this or do this whatever one of the things will be following our podcast so if you follow our podcast you're already a step ahead so then just do it you can you can get a copy of my book and read it and it'll be fun how fun. I'm excited. Um, but I think I think that's all for today, besties. That's, that's it. We'll see you next week. We will see you next week with our black mystery books. We're so excited. And thanks for listening. And bye. Bye.